Cheryl, are you ready to play the game? I am. All right, I'm going to read you three quotes, and you're going to try to figure out what movie I'm talking about. We'll see if it takes you all three quotes. I don't think it's going to. Quote number one, I've always loved travel anyway. The open road, the smell of the wind in my face, the flies clogging up my grill. Any idea? You want number two? Yeah. Number two. So what? He's a kid. He has a family. They move away. He moves away. It's a package deal. See? 80s movies are not my jam. I know you know this movie, though. All right. It's animated. It's animated? Oh, Goofy. Nope. Goofy Last one. Not I remember funny. the first time my bulb burned out and I thought, that's it. I'm burnt out. 86 to the showers. But then the master gave me a brand new bulb and I just glowed. Your child watched this. They also go to Mars. Oh my gosh. The Brave Little Toaster. There we go. Thank you for playing. Our movie. Not my movie. They wrote it when they were on Hi, everybody. Welcome back to A Bit of Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. This is season two, where we're talking about 80s kids movies we grew up loving and sometimes fearing. And this one was a bit of both. The Brave Little Toaster. I mean, it's actually legit messed up, which we'll explore a little. We'll get into that a bit. And I know I've watched this a lot when I was little, but I couldn't even begin to tell you the last time I turned it on. Boy, does it play differently as an adult. adult. All I really remembered was that radio was a little annoying, and I always loved the way Lamp would tap a surface before immediately falling asleep. Everything else felt either familiar or trippy new. But before we get into all of that, let's do some lazy internet research. So this one was actually based on a novella by Thomas M. Dish that came out in 1980. I tried to get my hands on a copy of it and I I can't seem to find it. It'd be interesting to read though. It kind of sounded like it went word for word almost, um, or at least scene by scene, whether the, the dialogue was the same, I'm not sure, but that it was very similar to the book. It came out in 1987 and it's not technically a Disney property. According to the always reliable Wikipedia, the film was produced by Hyperion Animation along with the Kushner Lock Company. And so I guess there were a lot of a lot of Cal Arts graduates, including the original members of Pixar Animation Studios, who were involved with this film. And the rights were acquired by Disney in 1982. John Laster, then just kind of employed by Disney, not yet running the show, wanted to do a CGI film based on the novella, but it was turned down and he was later let go. But as we know, he he comes back, which is interesting. Development was then transferred to the new Hyperion Pictures. And as a result, the film was financed as an independent production by Disney. So not not Disney. So Disney, but not Disney. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In 1986, Hyperion began to work on the story and character development. Jerry Reese, who Um, was a Disney animator who worked on like the Fox and the Hound and Tron. He was selected to direct the project. And then you have David Newman, who created the score. He he did a lot of movies. I had never heard of him before, but he worked on the animated version of Anastasia, which is fantastic. The movie Heathers, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, The Mighty Ducks, The Sandlot, and one of the greatest movies of all time, Galaxy Quest. So I thought that was really interesting. I, I need to look him up and find more about him because he's just not one. I didn't know his name, which is kind of surprising because he's done a lot of really big movies. 
But who's ready for our spoiler-filled walkthrough of the movie? Once upon a time, there was a house out in the middle of nowhere. Like literally, up on a hill without another residence in sight, but very close what appears to be a modern thoroughfare. And inside that home was a number of old household appliances left to their own devices. A vacuum, voiced by Tony the Tiger, a radio, a heated blanket, and a toaster. No one seemed to live in the home anymore, so the appliances just spent their days keeping the abandoned house clean. Except one very mundane day, they're over it. They've just decided, you know what, I've had enough, I do not want to clean at all. And it seems that this day took a while to get there, like years and years to get to this place, which I thought was kind of interesting. I feel that way every weekend. So the fact that these appliances like powered through for so long is really impressive. To make things a bit more exciting, the leader of the small little band, The Toaster, convinces Radio to put on some snappy tunes to make the chores more fun. I wonder if the movie watchers back in the 80s were mesmerized by the idea of a vacuum cleaner cleaning their home while they were away. So they walk into a newly tidied space they didn't even have to clean. I'm still mesmerized by that and hope to hit the lottery one day so that I can hire my very own Roomba. Hire? No, buy. I'm going to buy it. I'm not going to hire one. Oh, jeez. So one could compare these peculiar household appliances to the adorable toys in Toy Story, except for one thing. The toys in Toy Story abide by the laws of physics. Actually, hmm, I don't know anything about physics, much to the disappointment of my physics teaching brother. What I'm getting here is that there are scientific things that I can't explain that the toys understand that these household appliances just don't seem to get. Like electricity, circuits, and energy, a toy in Toy Story that depends on batteries to function cannot run, will not do its thing if it's out of battery juice. Not these appliances. They move around freely without being plugged into an outlet. Lamp turns on, vacuum sucks, radio plays music. Not sure about the toaster because there's no bread in the house, but I would assume that it too could perform the miraculous. I know, I know. It's movie magic, Emily. Move on. Or they are actually using electricity, but how does the home that has been left sitting on this hill out in the middle of nowhere for so long still have electricity? Who is playing, paying this electricity bill? And if they do have electricity, then they have the longest power cords ever because they just move around freely. I get tangled in mine constantly. So there's just, there's a lot of movie magic happening. Anyway. So they're cleaning the house just like they do every day when Blanket goes into a trance and stops the proceedings. Apparently, they hear a car. So it's tossed up into the attic as a lookout to see if it's Master. Yes, they call their favorite former owner Master, which I find to be a little rough. Turns out Blanket is not particularly smart and completely misidentifies the approaching vehicle as the Masters, sending everyone into a depression except for Lamp, who can't read a room and doesn't seem to notice that everyone is upset. We all know the, that person, that person that is in our friend group. Then they get a lecture from an air conditioner that can also run on phantom power and sounds hilariously similar to Jack Nicholas. Air conditioner is a realist and does its darndest to convince the other household appliances that they have been forgotten in this abandoned home. Toaster is a forever optimist and inadvertently sets the air conditioner off into a delusional, jealous, monologuing rage, as one does. And air conditioner blows a fuse. 
No one is sad. And then Blanket hears another car and this one pulls up to the house and the appliances all jump back to their original positions and they're getting very excited. And that's when they hear a very peculiar sound. The sound of a for sale sign being hammered into the yard. And guess what? The appliances can read. Optimus Toaster decides they're going to head out into the wild of the big city to find Master themselves. So they, they knew the house was being put up for sale. How do these appliances know how to read? <sighs> this isn't an overly popular idea, but it eventually wears them all down. Toaster, you know, talks this up. Hey, we're going to do this, or at least I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go find Toast or Master. And the premise, this premise has always cracked me up. I mean, just imagine opening your door one day <laughs> and sitting on your front stoop is a long lost microwave that has finally found its way home. Like how did they, what did they expect? What type of reaction were they expecting from the master when they just show up on his doorstep? Anyway, first obstacle, figuring out their mode of transportation. There are a number of fails before landing on a battery tied to an office chair that vacuum will pull. Hey, they do understand the laws of physics and science. Sort of. There's no way, no way this battery can power vacuum and radio, but it does. Anyway, they set off through the forest because you know a vacuum cleaner running, it's just a great idea to run through a forest. It's not sucking any awful things up. And they're looking for master. They argue a bit. They have a musical moment when Toaster sings a song. There's some more arguing. They do a lot of arguing in this movie before the appliances decide to lay down and get some sleep. A whole bunch of lonely household appliances randomly laying in the clearing a field made of thistles. Before they know it, it's morning and the journey continues. Vacuum is also miraculously a lawnmower and just, again, powers through the remaining thistles before the group stumbles upon a Shangri-La pond with several impressive woodland creatures who are making music with one another. There's a weird segment where a poor little worm is chased by a bird, fish, and frogs who are excellently, they're excellent synchronized swimmers. Not sure what the point of all this entire scene is. Meanwhile, Toaster is a novelty as the animals become enamored looking at their reflections on the side of his, and his mirrored sides. This utopia isn't all it seems, apparently, as Blanket fights off a mischief of mice. Did you know a group of mice is called a mischief? I did not know that. Thank you, Google. And the frogs get increasingly weird, and they, so they, they decide to leave. Like, we're out. We cannot handle these woodland creatures. So they continue toward the City of Lights, wherever that is, to find Master. Before long... Our group of appliances find themselves in another dark forest with tall redwood-looking trees. So one could assume that maybe they're in California. I don't know my California geography, but is the City of Lights L.A.? But are there redwoods anywhere near L.A.? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's happening in this movie. But they have to stop again because the battery is getting low and vacuum is slowing down. Radio threatens that if they spend too much time there, they'll become cannibals, which is a concept that I find very interesting. And then guess what? They start arguing again before Blanket makes a tin out of itself and everyone calms down and settles in to go to sleep, except for Lamp and Toaster, who have an interesting conversation about kindness and toast and a glow and their memories of the master. 
were then immediately in Toaster's Nightmare with probably one of the scariest moments of this entire movie. Um, there's a devil clown firefighter. I can't, let me remind you that this is a kid's movie. There's a clown with horns and a, a maniacal laugh dressed as a firefighter with a fire hose that shoots out forks that attempt to land in Toaster's heating coils before the, the visual of Toaster plugged into a wall outlet hanging over a bathtub filled with water, which it falls into. I mean, this is an intense scene for a kid's movie. It's an intense scene for an adult, especially one who doesn't like clowns like this one sitting on the other side of the microphone. But Toaster startles up, get, becomes awake, and there's now a horrible storm raging outside because they have the worst luck ever. And Blanket is taken by the wind and gets caught up in a tree. Lamp decides to make itself a lightning rod, while plugged into the battery. He gets struck by lightning and is basically fried to death. His bulb is broken. He's lying unconscious on the ground. But guess what? Self-sacrifice to the rescue. He recharged the battery, and which was actually kind of very intelligent and noble, a, a surprising move for Lamp. The next morning, the sun is out. Lamp is alive but charred, and they're still looking for Blanket. Now we have vacuum to the rescue. It somehow manages to toss its power cord up a very high distance, very high, around the tree limb that Blanket is clinging to, then sucks up its own cord, lifting the whole vacuum into the air toward its friends. Now I've had some vacuums with decent length cords, but never one that could be tossed 50 feet into the air and then up and over a tree limb reaching back to the ground. That is truly impressive. Where, where was vacuum storing this cord this whole time? How would you manage to wrap that much cord wherever you wrap the cord on the vacuum? I didn't. Impressive. Movie magic. Anyway, vacuum saves Blanket and the journey continues until they come up to a waterfall. The, the sweeper has a total meltdown. <laughs> When he finally comes to, I mean, he kind of goes catatonic. So when he finally comes to, he gets like real mean and bullyish. He's, he's been a bully the whole time, but this, this is more intense. I'm not sure how they're all friends. Here's the problem. They're on a cliff on one side of the waterfall, but they need to get to the other side of this cliff. Their grand plan is to tie all of their power cords together, have vacuum lower them over the side of the cliff, and then cliff and then start swinging until they reach the other side. All the while, I'm thinking they should pull a move from Jack's playbook and speed and just like speed it up and try to jump the gap. The gap didn't seem that big. So why didn't vacuum and the office chair just really take off and see if they could leap the gap? But no, they didn't do that. Alas, yeah, that... That was not their chosen path, and the plan sort of works, except Toaster has a brief moment when it's afraid of heights, loses balance. He's actually gotten to the other side of the cliff. All it, all it needs to do is kind of pull the cord up and get everybody to safety, but then freaks out, loses its balance, and sends the crew falling into the depths, except for Vacuum, who is still safely on the other side. But Vacuum does really like the bunch, apparently, even though he's a bit of a bully, and decides then he's like, sure, everybody's self-sacrificing themselves. I'll just leap into the water 
too, because, hey, if my friends are going down, I'm going down with them. They all head down the, but, so they're now in the water and they're all heading down the river. Vacuum is picking up his friends as he navigates the rapids. Somehow he's still able to move without the battery. Um, There's another waterfall and several different eddies. They just kind of go around in circles for a while. Eventually they get out. So the experience was hard on Toaster. It sends Toaster into a bit of an existential crisis. Who am I? Where are we? Why am I here? Of course, it doesn't last long because this is a short animated movie and they just find themselves in another forest. There's so many forests. But the problem is, again, that they lost the battery. So they have to, like, pull the vacuum. They can still move, but they have to pull vacuum. So sometimes it needs power. Sometimes it does not. It's unfortunate that it doesn't have, like, power, though, because the whole group then gets... (laughs) Gets sucked into a random quicksand pit. (gasps) Oh, this is, like, the worst set of forests ever. No fear, though. There's a random man passing by who hears radio, who apparently has backup batteries, and pulls the appliances away from danger. Turns out he's a repair guy who acts as if he's just, he's won the lottery. Hey, look at all these free household appliances. So he heads back to a shop of horrors where his own appliances come out to play. And we get another Toy Story-esque moment. But this time, the creepy scene where Sid's Franken toys come out of the shadows isn't quite the same. Um, they're scary, but they're helpful. It's a very familiar moment, but these, these appliances, these electronic devices are not as helpful. Like they're like, ha ha ha. You're part of, you're one of us now. So after a truly horrific scene where our household appliances watch repairman take a part of blender for its motor, just kind of rips things out and the grease is dripping on the floor, like blood and another musical number, they decide they need to escape. But before that happens, we get, again, another musical number with the scary repairman appliances singing about being trapped. I completely forgot about this song. There's a very good chance I would just leave the room when it came on while I was watching as a kid. Curious that the repairman couldn't hear the commotion in the room next door. That's what I always found kind of interesting in Toy Story 2. Are they just, like, uber silent but loud amongst themselves? How, how are you not... Are you not hearing these devices make a lot of noise? And wouldn't they be making noises similar to what they would make if if they were being used like normal household appliances? I, it'd be interesting. Eventually, the song ends as the appliances hear a man request radio tubes, which send our radio into a frenzy. It attempts to hide, but Lamp has the bright idea to scare the repairman to death by making spooky noises setting toaster on top of vacuum and putting blanket over them to look like a ghost. The unbelievable plan works, giving the appliances confidence for a jailbreak. Our appliances use a baby carriage with no battery in sight and finally head into the city. Flash to the master, now grown and going off to college. He's packing to head off to school when a friend comes to pick him up because they're going to head out to the old cottage to pick up the lamp and vacuum and radio. (gasps) Which, of course, that's his plan. And, of course, they're not there. If they just had waited a couple days, they would have been saved. But, no, there would be no conflict in this movie. So the appliances (laughs) steal a page out of a phone book. Again, 
No one in this city, this city of lights, this giant city is observing this paranormal phenomena. And you know what? They, they find his apartment. Of course, Master isn't home, but the plan is to break in, except the Master's new appliances welcome them inside. There's a lot of really scary appliances. I kind of want to know what mine are doing when I'm not home. Question. If they know the name of the Master, they, they look him up in the phone book, why don't they use his name? The use of Master is uncomfortable for the entirety of the movie. Welcome, so they're, they're at his apartment. Welcome isn't quite the right word, the greeting that they receive. We've, we've got our country bumpkins and an urban elite situation going on here. They do get to re reunite with a TV that was brought from the cottage originally. And let's talk about the TV for a sec. All of the other appliances utilize knobs and lights and switches and buttons to create the face. Not TV. TV has a mustachioed man pop up on the screen. Just another interesting choice. How, how, where is he living? <laughs> where is he living the rest of the time? <laughs> then we realize that the master's new appliances aren't interested in having our appliances around. And we learn this by, guess what? Another musical number. Very modern, very electronica. The song ends with them getting booted out the apartment window and immediately hauled away by a garbage truck. So just keep that in mind. If you buy something new for your home, it might not fully embrace the old that you still have around. Before long, Master has returned home, pretty bummed that the items he had gone to collect are mysteriously gone from the cottage. He does fix air conditioner, which is nice. An air conditioner feels redeemed that, hey, he did have, you know, some memories with the Master. TV does its part to try to get Master to go to the dump where the garbage truck was headed by running fake ads. Again, fascinating movie magic. And it Ernie's disposal, our appliances are now hiding from this giant magnet that is dropping items in the mouth of the crusher during a, a fourth musical number. I had forgotten there were so many songs in this. TV's plan, TV's plan works. Master heads to the dump and finds the picture of him as a kid <laughs> that Blanket has been carrying around, which would not be creepy at all if you're <laughs> at a place you've never been to and all of a sudden you find a picture of yourself. Unfortunately, while they're trying to maneuver to get in front of him, the appliances, they get sucked up by the mag magnet, which is apparently not very strong because they do manage to escape at one point. But the giant magnet is determined. Master ends up finding all of his old items, but the magnet grabs them again, this time lifting Master as well as he holds onto the vacuum and he just doesn't let go. So Master is now on the conveyor belt heading to the crusher when toaster the one appliance who hadn't been caught maybe he's not made of the right kind of metal i don't know i don't know how blanky was caught by the magnet what what metal is in a electric blanket well i guess the, the coils maybe i don't know i've never tried to put a magnet on an electric blanket anyway toaster takes this suicidal leap toward the conveyor belt and into the cogs which is moving the belt along stopping the machine just as it's about to crush him. Then we're back at the master's apartment, all of the appliances with him while he kindly fixes Toaster, who is crushed to bits. And in no time at all, all is well, and the master is headed to college. The appliances are convinced they're going to learn a lot, and all is well with the world. The end. So 
in summation, this is not an unfamiliar story. It's, it's a tale that we've heard before. People, creatures, inanimate objects striking out on a journey. It's a quest. They're going on a quest um, to, to find something that's missing or to reunite with someone that they have not seen in a while. It's just very interesting, the choice to use household appliances. Uh, you would not think that they would be interesting, which gets us into the conversation about characters. You do have a lot of different personalities. You have the electric blanket, who is the wet blanket of character development, kind of whiny, but seems young. So you kind of treat them like a child, uh, very loyal and um, meek. Then you have Vacuum, who is kind of the tough guy of the group. He's got the most power, which makes sense. He's probably the oldest, I would say. He's kind of got that surly mentality. He's he's the father figure in a sense. You have Lamp, who is um, kind of the pessimist in a way. Uh, you know, he, he goes along with everything, but he's he's never... He's not the guy you go to for that that pep talk. That ends up being Toaster. Toaster's kind of our our optimist, positive thinker. Hey, we can do this, guys. Let's go is the cheerleader of the group. And then you have Radio, who's there for comedic laughs, um, uses the radio in some very interesting ways to move the story forward, and uses that medium to give context to what's happening is kind of a recap sometimes of what they've been going through. Then you have Master and his family who just kind of abandoned this home. They must be fairly rich because how in the world do they just leave this house and all of these appliances for quite some time? Um, I know they're selling it now, but and it, it appears that Master's mom is a single mom. You don't hear a dad. So you feel like that is something they could have offloaded a while ago. Um, so just very interesting characters with some very interesting character development. I, I, you know, interesting. So then you have this plot. So you have the exposition. You, they use memories a lot, which is really interesting to give you context and background for the story. It opens with, with memories of the master as a child looking into the side of Toaster as he's making toast. And you slowly get to see how he uses each and every one of the household appliances. You have the conflict that they have been left out there alone. And now there's kind of a time limit on them. The house is going to be sold. They don't know what's going to happen. They want to be reunited with this kid that they have fond memories of. And you have the rising action of when they strike out on their own. They finally decide to make that leap and leave the cottage to the climax of they've gotten to their dis destination. Um, it's not what they anticipated. And now they find themselves in some just dangerous situations. They are at the junkyard. And then the falling action of Master showing up, trying to collect his belongings. He does not seem surprised at all that his belongings are there, really. And then finally, the conclusion where everybody lives happily ever after. There are quite a bit of scenes where the, the stakes are fairly high for these characters, which is, is nice in an animated movie. Sometimes you go a while without that happening. Everything is, you think of some of the Disney movies like, well, you see this a lot in, in Finding Nemo, that they keep hitting obstacles, wh whether it's the the glowy fish that I've completely forgotten the name of, or the sharks, or the jellyfish. Um, but then you have other ones kind of like The Little Mermaid, where the danger happens with Ursula, but then there's a long gap between there's 
there's any conflict or obstacles that get in the way other than the idea of, hey, I need to be kissed in three days. So the stakes aren't terribly high until the end when Ursula as Vanessa comes back. But in this one, they keep hitting those obstacles time after time after time. And it really shows resilience though. I mean, I guess that's a fairly good lesson for the for kids to see that, you know, obstacles are gonna come up and you just have to, you have to keep moving forward that, that you can't stop. Speaking of life's life lessons, here's here's what I got out of it. One <laughs> one day your old appliances may haunt you, and that while you're at work your lamps may be indulging in horrible musical numbers. Other than that, sometimes you have to just go after what you want. It's not easy. Again, there will be obstacles in your path, roadblocks, storms, expanses you have to cross. But Where there's a will, there's a way. Determination is a powerful thing. It's filled with hope and courage. It's believing you can accomplish something even when the odds are stacked against you. We all have that inside of us. There will be seasons in our life where it's easier to muster that determination more than others. And and that's okay. The first step toward the thing you want will always be there, no matter how long you've been waiting. Master was a grown man by the time the magical appliances found the courage and determination to take their first step or, or roll out the front door. How they were still running is a mystery, seeing as how I can only get a vacuum to last about three years. But when they were ready, they went looking for what they wanted and they didn't turn back. And that's, that's pretty awesome, even if they did meet a lot of horrific things along the way. They never let that stop them. They just kept moving forward, tackling one obstacle at a time and drawing absolutely no attention to the fact that some appliances were just moving around the world without a human's assistance. Yeah, sometimes you just have to go after what you want. It also makes me think of the movie The Martian. That movie stuck with me in a very interesting way. That in the book as well. Very good book. That... Mark Watney at one point, you know, he says you have to work the problem. You can sit there and be overwhelmed by everything that's in front of you. Uh, Or you can choose to say, here's the problem I can work right now. Here's the first thing I can tackle, the first thing I can control, and then I go after the next, which is really kind of interesting. The final wrap-up, character recasting. The voices were okay. There, There wasn't a standout except maybe Tony the Tiger as vacuum for me. But overall, the actors executed the personalities of inanimate objects pretty well. I feel like that would be, you know, in in the movies, they always do lines of like theater actors or old traditional actors of what is my motivation? (laughs) Just imagine voice actors like, yeah, I'm voicing a toaster. Uh, What's my motivation here? It'd be interesting to be a part of that conversation. Does this, did this need a sequel? No, it did not. And yet it got them. For some reason, a studio paid cash money for that, which may be the most magical thing of all as it comes to the story. Rewatchability? (laughs) Absolutely. Especially with an adult beverage and a couple of pals who can pick it apart with you. So what did you think of The Brave Little Toaster? Have you watched it recently? You should. It's weird and will probably make you rethink who allowed this to be created for children. But that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, it would be awesome if you could subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review the podcast as well. As always, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook as A Bit of Fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today and I will see you.